Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. City News. It's 17.30 GMT. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. I am Umaru Sanda Amadou. And tonight I'm here with... Nashika Caesar. And coming up over the next 90 minutes. Sometimes it baffles our mind that we are, as Ghanaians, we are, we, are, we are getting crude here. And we can't have refined, uh, what we call crude oil to refine in our refined. It's a, it's a serious matter that every Ghanaian, you, the media, the Ghanaian out there, please, this is not for only what you call workers of Ghana, but this is the only refinery that Kwame Nkrumah has been able to put down for us. Tall workers, that is um, managing director of the Temao refinery, to deal with tall workers whose actions would disrupt activities of the company as they embark on series of mass actions over the alien state asset. We'll be hearing from them and possibly from Tema Oil Refinery. Also coming up, even after they were sworn in as members of Ghana's Electoral Commission, the NDC is now going to the Council of State and other institutions to insist that the partisan members are removed. And later on Eyewitness News, the National Labour Commission has asked the senior staff of University of Cape Coast to call off an indefinite strike. Meanwhile, the national chapter of the senior staff of university lecturers is planning to embark on a strike in solidarity. What would be the way forward? Stay with 97.3 CTFM for more on this and many other stories on Eyewitness News. And in business... Ghana's economy grows by 3.7% in the last quarter of 2022. This is according to the Ghana Statistical Service. That's in 15 minutes uh, from the business desk of CTFM and CDTV. Eyewitness News is live across Ghana on a number of affiliate stations, including on Kasha 99.5 FM in Damongo in the Savannah region, Holy 98.5 FM in Aflau, Sela Radio 97.1 FM in Dabla, both in the Volta region. In Ashanti Regional Focus 94.3 FM and Orange 107.9 FM, both in Kumasi. In the Western Region on Beach 105.5 FM and Sky Power 93.5 FM, also um, based in Takradi. In the Northeast Region on Nobia FM 98.1 in Nalirigu. On North Star 92.1 FM in Tamale in the Northern Region. On Rekas 92.1 FM in Bongo Nambu. In the Upper West Region on Tumpani Radio 88.5 FM in Nadoli. And Jirapa Radio 96.1 in Jirapa. You can join us also on YouTube where we are live. We are on Facebook. We are on City Newsroom. Dot com. It's an interactive show. Do send your messages using the WhatsApp number 0549-986-996 or go on Twitter. Drop me a tweet using the hashtag City Newsroom or tweet at Umaru Sanda as well as at City973. Let's settle for details of our stories now. The company that used to be called Gaip, now Tema Oil Refinery, has a national asset which is riddled with controversy. Workers there are planning a series of mass action protests over the state of affairs of that company. The ones who are leading the workers is the umbrella body of workers of Tema Oil Refinery. 
that is the General Transport and Chemical Workers Union. The chairman of the union is Bernard Osu. He's joining us on the line. Mr. Osu, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Thank you, my brother. So I've just, give, I've just given the history, a uh, brief history of the name even, Gaip now becoming Tor, Nkrumah's, one of the legacies that Nkrumah left for us. What is the problem there? What is the state of affairs at Tor? First of all, let me greet your cherished listeners and uh, thank you for having me once again. The state of Tor, as we speak now, uh, is in a very distressed moment now. Uh, as we speak, the refinery is not functioning. Uh, we are only receiving some small amount of product into our tanks as uh, finished product into the tanks of Tamar refinery. And as workers of the refinery, uh, we don't know where we are going and where the refinery uh, the actors or the, the management of the refinery work the state that they want the refinery to be. Okay. First of all, the traditional role of Tor was to process crude into petroleum products for our use here. Now, generally, or in the past, the crude was imported. Is that not happening now? Is that not an easy thing to do, import crude there is a pipe that will pipe it to tour, and then you cook it or or, or process it or the, uh, refine it, which is the proper word to use, and yeah. then you you sell it to to the BDCs and then they distribute it across the country. The what, BDCs then sell it to the OMCs. To the OMCs, and then of course the BDCs will take it across the country. The OMCs will now sell it at the various fuel stations. It sounds like exactly. a very simple plan. At what point did we lose the plot? It sounds as simple as you are saying, uh, if we want to do the rises. Uh, as we speak now, we even have crude oil. Uh, as, a, as Ghanaians, we have crude oil. And uh, it would be proper for us to get the crude oil from the public to the refinery, to the refinery to work on them. But this is not what is happening. And uh, there was a contrast between and uh, a company that I don't have the name offhand. Uh, two years ago, they were bringing in products to the refinery and the refinery would process it and tool it. After that contract expired and uh, management tried to renew it, uh, we don't know what happened and uh, the contract was abrogated. For two years now, it has been back and forth, back and forth. Anytime we go in and you know speak to management about uh, what is happening, we are told we are in the process of getting an investor to invest in the refinery. And it has been two years and nothing is coming out. It's unfortunate, but uh, this is what is happening. So, Tor cannot get the crude oil to refine. Is that what it means? That is what it means. That is the situation as we speak now. But so does, now, does it have the capacity to refine if the crude is brought? Yes, the refinery has no problems. And as, as I've been saying since the, uh, the morning, that look, if you have your vehicle and you don't use the vehicle often or you don't, you park the vehicle for some time, before you can, you know, 
you the vehicle, you have to sort of either change your battery, change your uh, oil, then it's good to go. So uh, if you have crew today, we just have to do some few maintenance and uh, we'll be good to go. We don't see any problem with the refinery that if you have crude oil, we cannot refine. The challenge that we are having is that most of the weapons are even going away. Some are going to Iraq, uh, Afghanistan, and other places that if we don't take time before uh, we get up one day, the place will be empty. That is one major challenge that the refinery is facing as we speak now. One of the issues around tour, I remember during uh, the late President Mills' administration, one issue that was topical relating to tour had to do with the tour debt. It is something that Ghanaians have been paying. What is the situation with TOR's debt? Is TOR still saddled with debt? Are Ghanaians still paying for that? The TOR debt recovery levy, as I'm aware, was not given to TOR. And so, if Omaro, you can do as a favor, you can ask the ministry or the government what happened to the TOR uh, recovery levy that was levied to Ghanaians. But as we know, that that levy was not given to Tamar families. So where does the money go to? Because the money is collected on, on every liter of fuel that we buy at the pumps, isn't it? Yes, Omaru, that is exactly so. But uh, our checks, so has not received those money, those levies. We do not know where that money has gone to then, even though that was in But is Tor still indebted, though? Because the purpose was to help clear the so-called legacy debt at Tor. Do you know what the state of the debt at Tor is currently? Currently, I cannot give you figures, but I know Tor has a lot of debt. We, can, we cannot even see their bills in terms of electricity, uh, provident funds, statutory funds, and other uh, found at the refinery owned. There are a lot of uh, other, other uh, what you call debt that falls owned that they are not able to pay because they are not working. And uh, as I said, the, the main or the core business of the refinery is processing of food. And if you don't have the food and you are just doing, it will bring you some small amount of product into your tank. This cannot even take care of your overhead. That is why the workers, uh, we are coming out and asking the ordinary Ghanaians that look, we should all rally behind and you know, stay with the government. And uh, we should come and you know, help the, the, the refinery to do its core mandate because if the, the refinery business is not lucrative, I don't think that the Chinese or the other players will come. Ghana to build a, what you call a refinery uh, here. And because it's a very lucrative business, the business that is profitable, that can, the country can generate a lot of revenue out of it. That is why others are venturing into it. So we shouldn't look aside and forget about the refinery that Dr. Kwame Nkoman left with us and collapses like us with collapse other companies that we cannot see anymore. Tor is a state asset, but it can be run like a private company, can't it? So that Tor would engage in the business of buying crude, processing, and selling. It sounds like a simple business plan again. Why can't they simply do that? So that they contract to get the crude oil brought in, they process it, and then sell it at the market price. Oh, well, 
we are workers. We we, we we get up in the morning, we go to work, we look for tools, we, uh, management gets us tools, and we use the tools to work. It's the responsibility of management to do this. And uh, Omar, for a year now, we have the new managing director. We've given action to come and meet the workers, to have a day back, to tell us if, if uh, what you call his blueprint or what he wants to do as a managing director for the refinery, as we speak now. The last time I picked the phone and called him, he said it's a childish talk. You're referring to Jerry Fifi Henson, the new managing yes. director of Thermal Oil yes. Refinery. Yes, yes, yes. I called him on the phone and I asked him that the workers are calling that you have a deba to sort of explain how you want to carry the refinery from where you've come to meet. He told me that it's a childish talk and uh, I just have to, you know, uh, leave it and move on. But this is why we've got into where we've got it now. Now, if he has not accepted to meet you as a team, has he at least publicized his views or position paper or anything publicly anywhere that you could find and know that this is how he intends to run the company? Not to the best of my knowledge. What are his shortcomings as a managing director in your estimation? What are his failures? He is not interacting. Uh, he is not coming out. Uh, for us to know what he wants to do, and uh, he's not even telling us his challenges. Anytime you meet him, all that he tells you that, oh, we are doing, we've met uh, the, the team, he said we should bring this, and we are preparing to send it to them, and he keep on doing us excuses. And we cannot sit down uh, and be getting these excuses every day without getting any concrete, uh, what you call evidence of what you want to do. and. Uh, things are getting worse day in, day out. Are there no tangibles that you can point to at all since his arrival to say that he has done A, B, C, which is good, or you're simply saying over the past one year that he came, nothing significant and positive has been done? Exactly. I cannot point out to one single thing. If he can, he can come out and say it. If he has done anything that is significant to the progress of the refinery, uh, he can come out and let the whole world know what he's doing for the refinery as a chief executive of the organization. Okay. So we have tried to reach him, uh, Jerry Hinson. He has not responded to our request for an interview since um, you, 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 you came public on the issues at the refinery. However, today, the minister responsible for the sector and MP for Manchester South, Matthew Poku Prempe, spoke to journalists and he responded to the comments that you guys are making and amongst other things he said that well he complained about the theft of finished products at at tour and an eight-month probe that has revealed loss of dirty stuff i want us to listen to him together if you with your indulgence so that i'll ask you to respond to the minister if you don't mind that's fine okay Easy to always say there's a sector minister, and as soon as the minister does something, oh, the minister is interfering. The same, the same journalist around would accuse me if I go and I say I'm going to demand these changes. They will say, ah, but they're Ghanaian workers, but there's a, a management. We all have to decide as a country what we want. We live under the type of system that we want, right? I can tell you as a minister what I've done. 
Right? I gave, I gave, I gave, I've gave, I gave Tor a new business opportunity in the uh, premix fuel market. That all the condensate from Ghana gas should go to Tor and use it for blending and uh, premix fuel. Right? The last time I heard over 2.5 million dollars worth of condensate that got missing from Tor. If we all want Tor working, we don't want another ECG in Tor, do we? Because it will break the back of government, the bills in tour. They have over $500 million of debt sitting on there. And go and look at how the debt's accumulated. People bring their crude to, uh, to refine and, and then crude losses. I set up a committee that worked for eight months just trying to reconcile tour losses. My sister, you don't pay taxes for it to be a drain. You pay taxes for an efficient function of government. Government, I can tell you, is doing so much work to bring TOR together. As we speak, there are proposals lying down in TOR. The Attorney General is having a look, SIGA is having a look, Finance Ministry. Because you same journalist will come and say, government has sold TOR to his cronies if we don't get it right. And getting it right is a difficult proposition that we are putting out. And we will work diligently to give Ghanaians what is good. Oh, we are not, petrol is not scarce in this country because toy is not working, is it? Okay. So if toy is come to work, it has to come with the efficiencies for which it can allow to participate in the market. We are not going to say toy because toy is store. Toy will bring in petrol products that me and you cannot buy. You will turn around and tell you, ah, the old system was better, right? So that's Dr. Matthew Foku Prempe, Minister for Energy, MP for Malaysia uh, South, speaking there to journalists today when he followed the uh, ECG team on the exercise that is embarking on. Um, Ms. Ozu, you, you've heard him there. It appears that your workers or your colleagues who work at Tor are not helping matters. He's worried about the thefts at the place. Uh, Omaru, if there's a theft at CTFF, I believe there are management there, there are processes there, if people are not doing the right thing, they are supposed to be fired. I'm surprised the CEO is still living in office. If the minister is saying this, because if you are if you are a CEO and you've been packed with the responsibility to ensure that the place runs efficiently, and it turns out that product that is given to you to sort of run to make money for the refinery, you are not able to do that. I think the minister should fire the, what do you call it, the MD and even dissolve the board. No, the minister should call out the workers who are acting hypocritically by saying that they want the problem fixed when they are the problem. No, my brother, as I said, I am a worker. If a worker does something everywhere, there is a worldwide policy. You always have a black sheep around. And if the black sheep is the one causing the problem, we fish it out. As a, as a chairman of the National Union, I will not sit down or I will even uh, sort of defend every worker who will involve himself in criminal activities. No one will support that. So if there's a clear evidence that staffs are doing things that are not right, why are we not going after them? Why are we not putting measures? The public Entities are doing it. Why are we not doing it right as as government entities? So, Omaro, we cannot we cannot we cannot say that 
that the workers there are doing something which is wrong that we, we don't even have evidence to. Let's talk about another point he made. We are not having petrol problems or petrol crisis or petroleum crisis in Ghana because Tor is not working. So why should we bother about Tor? Why should we be bothered at all? Because we are fine. Anyway, the BDCs are doing a brilliant job. Uh, Bost is there. We are okay. But what about the price? What about the price? What difference would it make if, if Tor were processing? If Tor were processing, the prices would be down. Because on average, you need uh, almost uh, $4.8 billion to import a long product per annum. And if Tor is working, Tor can take 50% of this uh, what do you call uh, 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 this process in terms of uh, what do you call bringing in good and getting finished products into the market? Will, will privatizing Tor be the solution? Well, if government thinks so, I will not be the best to say because. As, uh, as a worker means, union, you have no problem with the privatization thought of thought, do you? For whatever it would take for the police to run, we don't have an issue with it. The issue about the probe that was conducted at the, at the company, are you aware, did you appear before the committee that was doing the investigation about the theft and other challenges in the company? Yes, our members appear and our members, some were, I, I believe most of our members were exonerated. But some were found to be complicit? To the best of my knowledge, uh, no. Because you said most were exonerated, then it means yes, some yeah, were yeah, not. Yeah. All my, you know, we have two unions there, so I don't know of the other union, but my union, I know my members were exonerated. I see. Um, moving forward, you are planning to go and uh, demonstrate. The MD says he's fine with your demonstration, but just make sure you do not affect or, or, or distract the works of the company. If you do, you, the workers, will be dealt with. How do you take that statement? Well, uh, for him getting this energy to even write this letter, I'm surprised. He should have come out to tell Ghanaian the state of the refinery. Since the one that we started this in the action, we've not done anything, anything that is affecting the refinery. So uh, I don't know what, what he's thinking, but I would advise him that he should come out and tell Ghanaians how the refinery is doing rather than wasting his energy on his letters. It will not help matters. All that we are telling the ordinary Ghanaians is that the refinery is viable and we are pleading with the, with the, with the authority to come to the aid of the refinery so that all of us one day will be proud that the refinery that Kwame Nkrumah left with us is in good state, but not in practice. There's a huge private refinery, Sentio Oil, owned by the Chinese, coming up a few meters from Tor. Do you consider that as a threat? It cannot be a threat because we are in a very competitive market. And uh, if you have your refinery as a state, and you are you are doing well. Uh, private can equally also have its 
uh, what do you call it, is the primary in Iran. It cannot be a threat to the refinery. You, you, refinery. Do not, you do not think that's the final nail that would be used to close the coffin of Thor, that Thor would finally become the white elephants that it has been for some time now because there will be a very vibrant and privately run oil refinery next door? That will be a challenge to all of us as Ghanaians to ensure that our own that we have, we should protect it and make sure that the refinery runs. That is why as a union, we are now coming out to let the whole world know that, look, we shouldn't allow the refinery to collapse. Thank you so much for speaking to us, sir. Thank you, Omar Sanda, for having me. That's Bernardo Usu. He is chairman of the General Transport and Chemical Workers Union. Uh, they have um, members who work at Tema Oil Refinery. This Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM Broadcasting from number 11, Dr. Martin Loop in Adabraka. In Accra, we are coming to you from our studios here. Uh, my name is Umaru Sandamari here with Nashika Caesar. When we return, we have other stories that are worthy of uh, your patience. Please stay with us. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. You're welcome back. This Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. Uh, all evening we've been talking about the Tema Oil Refinery, the energy sector of Ghana. We remain with that sector, but make a quick move to the power sector specifically, where the Electricity Company of Ghana has been on a very ambitious but largely successful campaign. Nashika has a story. The Electricity Company of Ghana, ECG, has disconnected power to the administration block and master's bungalows of the Infantamani Girls Secondary School in Salt Pond for oil an amount of 316,000 cities. The administration and master's bungalow of the Brewa Secondary Technical School were also disconnected for failing to pay an amount of 130,000 cities. The Infantaman Municipal Assembly escaped disconnection after paying 20,000 cities out of a total amount of 30,000 cities owed the power distribution company. Some shops in the Salt Pond market were also disconnected. According to the Central Regional Commercial Manager of the ECG, Simon Pabite, his outfit has been able to mobilize 64 million cities out of a total amount of 260 million cities owed the company. We went to Brewa Secondary Technical School. Some of the master's bungalows there were owing so much. So we have to disconnect the master's bungalows that were owing. And then we, those that were spared were those who were able to pay their bills and then pay in full. From there we moved to the Infantimandis Assembly, of which they were also owing us around 26,000 cities as at February. We've paid, they've paid 20,000 cities today, and then the rest of the 6,000, they are going to pay it before Thursday. From there, we went to Infantiman Girls Secondary School. The master's bungalows were also owing. So we have to disconnect the master's bungalow, and then we ended up disconnecting the administration block of the Infantiman Girls Secondary School. 
and then we are back here to the South Point Township, the Market Square. Most of the stores here were owing, we took them off. Some of them have to pay, and then we make sure that they paid in full before we reconnect them. For the first four weeks, we were able to mobilize around 64 million Ghana cities, which is very encouraging because prior to that, our monthly revenue over around 38 to 40 million every month. So if we are able to mobilize 64 million Ghana cities for the first four weeks, it is very encouraging. We need money to pay the power generators. We need money to pay our staff. We need money to buy transformers and other things so that we can serve them better. By the end of the exercise on Thursday, uh, our target is to collect at least 50% of, of our total indebtedness. That was the Central Regional Commercial Manager of the Electricity Company of Ghana, Simon Pabite. In the Ashanti region, the ECG has reconnected the Ashanti Regional Branch of the Ghana Broadcasting Corporation, GBC, after disconnecting it from the national grid five days ago due to the non-payment of bills. According to the management of the ECG, the decision to reconnect the GBC is as a result of a payment plan that has been developed and adopted by the two parties. The Shanti Regional Director of the Electricity Company of Ghana, Engineer David Boydia Samwa, who disclosed this to City News, described the revenue mobilization exercise in the region as largely successful. By the Ghana uh, Central Police Command in Ashanti has not been disconnected. That's, that's, I can say that for a fact. No, the Regional Police Command, uh, we wrote a letter to them. I wrote a letter personally to them for assistance to identify all their meeting points within the Ashanti region. And uh, graciously, they did so well. They gave us their own people to lead us. But some of the places that they showed that we didn't even know it was for police because it was bearing private names. Um, but the police rented it. So they took us there with taking all the particulars. Why we need to do some recoveries, we'll do the recoveries, and we've agreed that they are prepared to pay for it. So there was no need uh, going to disconnect the police when you really see uh, we are benefiting so much rather from uh, the work that we are doing with them. Generally, the stuff has been smooth and uh, it's been very good uh, considering the various amounts that people told us and then what we've been able to re recover now, I can say that uh, it's very good. It's been very, very good exercise. You have the Ashanti Regional Director of the Electricity Company of Ghana, Engineer David Bwedi Asamwa. Now to some other stories. President Ekufado has expressed his government's commitment at providing decent accommodation facilities for officers of the security service. Nanekufado believes this would enhance their capacity to perform their duties without distractions. Speaking at the commissioning of a police barracks at Kwabenya in Accra, President Ekufado said government would continue to improve the working conditions of officers. Of our unwavering commitment to provide decent accommodation and other facilities for our security personnel. Not only will this facility improve the welfare of the police officers, it will also enhance their capacity to serve our nation even more effectively. 
As we commission the first phase of this project, I urge the Ministry of Lands and Natural Resources, the Lands Commission and Unique Development Company to work in earnest and complete the remaining 192 housing units and other facilities that make up the second phase of the project. I've been briefed that work is also far advanced on the construction of 15 bedroom self-contained flats for the Ghana Meteorological Agency, the Ghana Airport Company Limited, and the Greater Accra Regional Office of the Driver and Vehicle Licensing Authority, DVLA. The completion of these projects is crucial to the implementation of the Aviation City Project. Once again, I want to commend all those who have worked for the success of this project. And let me mention specifically Unique Development Company Limited for partnering with government to put up these facilities for the police service and for the excellent quality of its work. That was President Kufuado. This Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTF and we're coming to you from our studios in Adabraka in Accra. When we come back, we'll talk about the Electoral Commission. The NDC wants the Council of State to unadvise the President on the appointment of two persons to the Commission whom have been found to be political or biased politically in the past at least. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. You're welcome back. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. Daniel Akpaliok from Sandema says the Kwame Nkrumah's Okay, Kwame Nkrumah's Ghana has seriously been destroyed by greedy and selfish politicians. The institutions that are supposed to be generating income for the nation are rather saddled with debt, and yet government seems to be doing absolutely nothing about it. The money we are seeking from the IMF today could have been generated in the country if we were in a serious country with serious leaders. Emil Akwensivie in Boso, in the eastern region, says, can uh, the military, that's the 48th Engineers Regiment, handled tour. Politics is destroying us. Parliament can make laws for the 48 uh, engineers to handle tour. It's been making profit today and making losses tomorrow. Fiamongo in Abo says, Tema Oil Refinery should have been working to the benefit of Ghanaians, but is now doing nothing in this country. Can't the government help tour to start a refinery? which will help refining, which will help reduce the cost of petroleum products in the country. Please, President Akuvado should do something about the company now. Anna, Anna Fena Neku says, uh, Is it not a shame that after 65 years of independence, store as an important asset cannot be revamped? Our leaders are very wicked and selfish. Babamu in Tamale says, In fact, imagine... Tor was imagine if Tor was in a good state, I think our fuel prices would have been cheaper. Tor needs to be back on track. Aka Paul Jr. and Ahafomim says it's a very serious issue that a country on its knees would choose to pay workers of Tor without any work for over 60 years. Prof sends a message from Tema and he says 
For years, people have been receiving huge salaries at all for no work done. Even when toll refines, the price is pegged at the imported price, so drivers do not benefit. You send your message to 0549-986-996, 0549-986-996. Let's talk about the Electoral Commission now. And uh, the president has made some nominations to the commission. The nominees have already been sworn in, effectively members of the commission now. But two of them have come up for mention. Many people have uh, said that these two persons are politically tainted. In fact, to be specific, they are very blue or NPP. And for that matter, they have no business being on the Electoral Commission. The calls have been made from various quarters. Uh, the NDC members had made the call in the past. Then a few civil society organizations also joined. Codeo. Uh, the Coalition of Domestic Election Observers, which is an offshoot of the Center for Democratic Development, Ghana, CDD, and so on. They have already been sworn in. But the NDC now is using another route to try to remove them from the commission. Sami Jemfi is National Communications Officer of the National Democratic Congress. Mr. Jemfi, welcome to Eyewitness News. Um, these persons have already been sworn in by the president after they were nominated in consultation with the Council of State. You are going to the Council of State to say that they should cancel or do a remarking of these men? No. What we are asking the Council of State to do is to purge themselves of this sacrilege, this bastardization of a constitutionally independent electoral body. That is all uh, the letter we have sent to the Council of State is intended to achieve. There are a number of steps that, as a political party, we intend to undertake to ensure that we rid the once revered Electoral Commission of such partisan characters, such as uh, Dr. Pia Hene and Hegia Salima. But this is a first step in that, you know, um, 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 the first step on that list of activities that we intend to undertake. Because it is Sunday, the Council of State is a very important institution in our democratic system. It is apolitical, non-partisan, and they have a duty to advise the president on many important national issues. And therefore, in the discharge of their functions, they, they must be mindful of the national interest at all times. We want to give them the benefit of the doubt that maybe they were not privy to the facts we have adduced um, 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 before them, I mean, in this letter, relative to the, um, the, the, the partisan inclinations of these, these new appointees into the Electoral Commission. But we believe that there are respectable patriots, you know, citizens, senior statesmen in the Council of State who are minded by the fact that a good name is better than riches or any partisan uh, 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 consideration. And we look at the facts, we have presented them uh, objectively and make another judgment call on this matter. We'll be very happy if, in the light of the new evidence we have put before them, they can tell the president that, look here, you asked for advice on these appointments. Um, at the time, we were not privy to these facts. But based on this new evidence, 
we think that we got it wrong. We do not think that the appointment of these partisan characters into the Electoral Commission is proper. It doesn't bode well for our democracy and for public confidence in the election uh, Electoral Commission. And therefore, we advise that you reconsider or moving on, we prevent some of these things from happening. Or if you have any influence on these appointees that you can bring to bear and ensure that they resign amicably, please do so. I believe that many well-meaning Guineans will be excited to know that we have such uh, a responsible council of state who at all times will uphold and protect the national interest. Now, this thing you are inviting the National Council of um was it Council of State to do this invitation? Is it grounded in law? So that what law would the Council of State be acting on? Per what the law dictates, their advice is sought by the president. They give that advice, and because of what the Supreme Court said recently, we know that even that advice is not really binding. So what what do you want them to do? They can. This is not. This is not. We are not talking law here. We are talking about. We are appealing, you know, to the, the conscience of the Council of State. We are appealing to their judgment. They've made a judgment on this matter, the matter of the appointment. Yes, so I'm saying that what will be the consequence of whatever they do? They can Should they write to the president and say, listen, we advise you, and we don't even know whether they said to the president to go ahead with these guys or not, because oh, the Supreme Court... That is why in the letter, Sandra, we say mm -hmm. that we are proceeding on the assumption um, that the president acted appropriately by seeking the advice and that that advice was given in the affirmative related to these appointments. So it is an assumption we are making. If they didn't give that advice, I'm sure they will indicate so um, 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 in their response to us. Or if their advice was not sought at all, I'm sure they will indicate so, uh, which will render these appointments unconstitutional. So you want them so, to come out publicly and say to you what kind of advice they give to the president and whether they stand by that advice or they or they do not stand by that advice. Exactly. That is one of the things we expect from them. But not just that. Beyond that, assuming that they supported or recommended the appointment of these persons, we are saying this is hard evidence relative to the partisan inclinations of these two people. These are publicly known MPP hardliners, persons who are irredeemably partisan, that if we accept them as members of the Electoral Commission, the whole institution will lose the little integrity and credibility it has left. Don't forget that as we speak, public confidence in the Electoral Commission it's at an all-time low of 10%, according to the latest Afrobarometer survey. So what you need to do as a nation in times like this is to do the kind of thing that engender public or increase public confidence in this institution, because the Electoral Commission plays a very vital role in our democracy. And so the, the Council of State, we think, should look at the evidence we have presented before that. Okay. Do you want somebody who has been an NPP communicator, a patron of the NPP wing at the University of Energy and Natural Resources since 2017. He has been um, um, a coalition officer for the NPP in the Bono region. He's been training IT people for the NPP 
in the Bruno region and so on. Do you want this? Uh, it's like saying that Sami Jelisi should be appointed into the Electoral Commission as a member of the Commission. It simply doesn't make sense. You see, you don't build institutions like that. You don't build democracies like that. And so we would want to believe that there are patriots in that Council of State, senior statesmen, who care about this country, they care about their legacy, and who do the right thing in the light of this new evidence that they might not have addressed their minds to at the time they were giving the advice. And we will have, I mean, great reprieve, great joy to know that in the light of this evidence, the Council of State has reconsidered its position on this matter. They have advised the president differently. Whether or not the president will agree with them is immaterial. Uh, whether or not that will lead to the resignation of these two appointees is immaterial. But we believe that they purging themselves of this sacrilege alone, at least preserve the integrity and the respect we all have for that revered council, the Council of State. Okay. And will also show uh, to the citizenry and the international community that they are not a part of it, they don't support it, you know, which for, for, for us will be the um, harbinger of the next uh, activities that we want to embark on as a political party to demand the resignation of these partisan characters. Very well. Them. Thank you so much for speaking to us. That's Sami Jemfis, National Communications Officer of the NDC. A week or so ago, I engaged Reverend Fred Digby. Uh, recall he was with the Christian Council. For purposes of this discussion, he is with the CODIL, the Coalition of Domestic election observers. Uh, the Codil called a press conference to insist that the uh, two persons resign from their position. In the evening on Eyewitness News, I spoke to Reverend Fred Digby. Listen to the position of Codil. Normally, the president has shown us a, a, a style of appointing public officials. He tells us their CB why he's appointing them. In this particular case, we do not see any of those credentials publicly giving out there. So after they've been appointed and sworn in, people are now finding out who they are and they come up with the uh, finding social media that these two people, Dr. PJ and Hadia, seem to be tainted politically, uh, very well known in the circles of the NDP. And so we said this doesn't seem right. An electoral management body, or a referee for that matter, must be seen, must be known as fair to all players who would accept them and work with them for our election. Is it not just a suspicion? Has this been proven in any way that they have a political colorization or they are new patriotic party fanatics? Has that been proven in any way? Because... The question would be, everybody may have a sympathy, but are they active members of the NPP? Everybody may have a sympathy, and rightly so, because we are supposed to vote. And if so, then if you get into public and you are seen to be speaking for a particular party, and it's there on the Internet, anybody who Googles will find out about this lecturer, what he has said, what he has done, I just... Uh, political inclination from the husband and from those she's related to seems to make a suggestion that she could be politically tainted. It could be. So we're saying these two, perhaps 
if the president took a look again, he may not have appointed them. And we've been wondering whether the requirement of talking with, again, seeking consultation with the uh, Council of State was done, and whether these two people have been said to be okay. These are the best we can have to serve us on the Electoral Commission. Don't people's histories with organizations end when they are appointed to independent institutions? Or the view is that once they were blue, they are forever blue and cannot be trusted? Um, you're right that they may be appointed and then they can show that they are truly neutral. You see, but at the time of appointment, what you know is what you work on. So if at the time of appointment, this is what we know about them. You see, we live in a very polarized society. And already the ratings of the Electoral Commission across the years has been plummeting. At the last Afrobarometer, we find even 10% of the public saying that oh, they have confidence in the Electoral Commission. So if you're going to continue to add to that body people who are perceived to be politically tainted, we are afraid that we're just going to make it more and more difficult for anybody to have any confidence in that electoral body. And that is why we are calling on the, on the people who have been uh, sworn into office to look at it and see we're calling on the Ghanaian population to let their views be known. Some have made their views known already that this one we think is gone too far. There are many more people who would have fitted that bill without too much sweat from the general public. That's Reverend Fred Digby. Uh, he is with the Coalition of Domestic Election Observers. Kodeo spoke to me uh, over a week ago on that issue of the persons who have been nominated to be members of the Electoral Commission, which persons have already been sworn in, but which persons Kodeo uh, was asking to resign. And NDC is now asking the Council of State to reverse its advice to the president in order that these persons would be removed, or at least say that it is not part of the process or it does not agree with the decision based on new information that is being given to it, that these persons are NPP members. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. Let's talk about the labor front now. And... Um, The lecturers at the university, the senior staff of the university lecturers at the UCC, that's University of Cape Coast, have been on strike over delay in the payment of negotiated allowances, conditions of service, and the promotions. Now, at the national level, the association is also planning to embark on a strike in solidarity with their colleagues in Cape Coast. Isaac Donko is a national president of the Senior Staff Association of University Lecturers. Mr. Donko, welcome to Eyewitness News. My brother, thank you for having me. Um, you want to embark on a strike to support somebody else's strike? Help, that, help me make sense of that. Okay. First of all, good evening to your listeners as well as my members across Ghana Public Universities. We are not striking to support somebody else's strike. We are striking to support our local chapter. Our local chapter at UCC. 
And what is affecting UCC is gradually going to affect everybody. And it has started from UMAT. It has started from Amstead. So if care is not taken, it is going to descend across all campuses. So you have to tackle it from the root. And I think the best time to do is now. Once UCC have started at national level, we support them 100%. That's why we've given our consent to their support. We've written to National Labor Commission. We've notified the authorities involved, UCC, Amstead, UMAT, GTEC, uh, Labor Commission, and the rest that come next week Wednesday, if nothing is done about that, we are also going to lay down our tools nationwide. And that's our decision. Okay. The reason you want to go on this strike is because of what has happened to your local chapter at UCC. The NLC has made a decision on that. I want you to indulge me, so I play the sound or the voice of um, Honorable Fosua Samoa, who is the Executive Secretary of the National Labor Commission. He has made a, de or the Commission has made a determination. Let's hear that determination, and then I will ask you if that would uh, mean anything to your plan. Let's listen. Okay. The commission has directed them to call off the strike to enable the commission to hear the matter. So the matter has been adjourned for one week. For them because uh, by law, um, the negotiations cannot go on, arbitration, uh, mediation, and all proceedings whilst we are on strike. We received a letter on the Thursday preceding Easter. That was on the 6th. Yes, we have made a complaint that we gave a directive that management should engage you. They haven't engaged you, and we are reporting to the commission. So that is why we responded and said that, yes, now come with management, who you are alleging to have failed to comply with the decision of the commission, so that the commission will go ahead and listen, whether it is true or not, whether you are engaged or not. Well, that's an allegation that has been made. That's why we invited them to appear before the commission. And in that letter, it was stated that while the commission is seized with the matter, right, stay all action. That is including the threatened strike. Unfortunately, they declared a strike. So that's uh, the Executive Secretary of the National Labor Commission, uh, Officer Samuel. Mr. Donko, now the people for whom you are planning to go on the strike have been ordered to go back to the classroom. Would that affect your plan too, or you would disregard the NLC's decision? Well, uh, UCC works, UCC local works directly under me. I'm the national chair. We control the affairs of the association. So the matter has been given to our lawyers. They are on legal strike. We've asked their management to do the needful. So if they are ready, and I'm sure they are ready because this evening, as I'm talking to you, I've seen a letter inviting the local chapter for a meeting on Friday. So if management are ready to sit down, sit down, sit down with them, we are also ready to engage them. But when they are not ready, then I don't think the strike can be called off. But I'm sure now, because the letters are flying, the invitation is out. They are going to meet them on Friday. So let's see what will happen on Friday. We'll wait to see what happens on Friday. Thank you so much for speaking to us. Thank you, too. That's Isaac Donko. He's national president of the Senior Staff Association of uh, universities of ghana this is eyewitness news on 97.3 ctfm we are coming to you from our studios in adabraka in accra up next
Nashika Siza will be bringing us business news. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. Get the details every significant financial transaction, every market movement, and all the policies that affect your business. City Business News. Time now for City Business News on Eyewitness News, powered by citybusinessnews.com. I am Nashika Caesar. Let's settle for the details. Latest data from the Ghana Statistical Service, GSS, indicates that Ghana's economy has grown by 3.7% in the last quarter of 2022. The GSS further explains that this growth was driven by progress in the mining and acquiring information sectors, as well as the communication, public administration, defense, and social security sectors. Agriculture education subsectors were also the main drivers of GDP growth. Here is the government statistician, Professor Samuel Kobana Enim speaking. We turn to the highlights of the quarterly, last quarter 2022 GDP and the annual GDP. In the last quarter of 2022, Ghana's economy grew by 3.7% with all the sectors taken into consideration. If you discount the effect of oil on our GDP in the last quarter of 2022, the economy grew by 4.3%. These respective growth rates of 3.7% and 4.3% are relatively lower than the growth rates that were recorded between the period 2020 and 2021, when oil GDP grew by 5.6% and non-oil GDP grew by 6.9%. From a sectoral point of view, the economy continue to be driven by the services sector, which in the last quarter of 2022 contributed 45.3% to the GDP of the economy. We saw a marginal increase in the contribution of the industry sector, growing from 33.4% in 2021 to 36.0% in 2022. We saw a reduction in the contribution of agricultural sector, which grew by 22% in 2021 and slowed down to 18.7%, a dip of about 3.3 percentage points in 2022. That was the government statistician, Professor Samuel Kobna Enim. Now, the chief executive officer of the Ghana Shippers Authority, GSA, Benonita Bismarck, has stated that assessors of the African Continental Free Trade Area, AFTA, largely hinges on an effective transport and logistics regime that can support trade among African states. This comes on the back of the GSA's track record in facilitating trade, which includes the setting up of shipper complaints and support units at all the country's entry and exit borders to offer real-time assistance to shippers. She made a call when a team from the AFTA Secretariat led by the Head of Trade Facilitation and Customs, Benita Jan, paid a working visit to the GSA. We have done a lot of work. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. We have our staff sit on tracks to ply the route just to find out how many checks there are, what monies whether it's the police, it's the immigration, whether it's customs, and then we come back and then we address it with the relevant agency. So you are the right agency to speak to about these matters. And because we've done the study, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. So, Demeter, we are open 
-hmm. as shapers authority. So um, I think we're in the right place. Let us know how we can strengthen the collaboration. That was the Chief Executive Officer of the Ghana Sheepers Authority, Benonita Bismarck. Away from that, a Senior Economic Analyst at the National Resource Governance Institute, Dr. Alex Ampabin, has cautioned the government about its revenue expectations from the newly assented tax bills. President Kufada assented to the bills passed by Parliament as part of a revenue mobilization effort and a requisite for securing an international monetary fund bailout. The government hopes to generate about 4 billion Ghana cities with implementation of the Income Task Amendment Bill, Excise Duty Amendment Bill and Growth and Sustainability Amendment Bill into law. However, Dr. Mpabin believes that businesses will find ways to avoid the taxes and as a result, government must beef up its revenue collection systems. The president, as you know, has assented to these three new taxes. I think we need to manage our expectations, what these taxes are going to do in terms of revenue generation. Uh, because each of them, taxpayers are likely to respond differently. We have the Income Tax Amendment Act now. Well, it is to capture gains on capital, so realization of assets. Passage of the law on its own is not going to allow somebody to report if they sell their houses or plots of land. It will take other support mechanisms. It will take other institutions collaborating to make this work. So how is government now going to make sure that Lands Commission uh, works with the local assemblies and also with the Ghana Revenue Authority? So when a gain is realized on, say, a property, those informations are relayed to the relevant government agencies for enforcement. It's not about the law. That was Senior Economic Analyst at the National Natural Resource Governance Institute there. Now, some traders in Accra are expressing concern over the incessant increment in the prices of goods in the country. The traders, made up of both wholesalers and retailers, lament that a constant hike in prices is driving them out of business as most consumers no longer have the purchasing power. The country's inflation rate peaked to over 53% in 2022, but has since slowed with year-on-year -year inflation for the month of February 2023 dropping to 52.8%. However, although the country's inflationary levels have dropped, with the local currency also appreciating after its free fall last year, prices of goods and commodities are yet to reduce. Some traders who spoke to City Business News expressed mixed reactions on the reasons for the constant hikes in prices. And everybody is doing what he or she likes. Me, I want people to buy, so I've come down. And those who they, uh, uh, want it to go high, they are there. They don't care. So uh, unless may, maybe they introduce that uh, tax thing again to control the tax, to control the prices, because everybody is selling what he or she likes, and it's making things going high. For example, we get things from Guinness Ghana, then they give us prices we are supposed to sell at, and then we sell sometimes exactly at those prices. So you cannot tell me that I'm exploiting customers. If when the government or the company has given the price, I should sell at. 
is not exploitation. But I'm selling at the price the Ghana, the Guinness Ghana has given me to sell at. So I don't think I'm exploiting the customer. I think they should do something about the economy. It's hard. People are complaining. I'm complaining myself. Even though I'm, I'm a wholesale lover, I'm still complaining. We are all complaining. Something must be done about it. Those were some traders in Accra speaking on the hike in prices of goods. And that's all for City Business News on Eyewitness News. It was powered by your most comprehensive business news website, citybusinessnews.com. My name is Nashika Caesar. Up next is Point Blank. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. This is Point Blank on Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. I am Umaru Sanda Amadou. Point Blank tonight focuses on two things. One, accommodation of or accommodation for Ghana security personnel, the personnel of the security services of Ghana. The president commissioned a police barracks at Kwabinya today. And he made some uh, very compelling statements there. We'll be sharing that with you shortly. But before then, let's talk about the Electricity Company of Ghana's campaign to disconnect and recover monies owed at a company by customers. Today, the Minister for Energy, Dr. Matthew Poku Prempe, joined the ECG task force on the campaign. And after the exercise, he spoke to journalists who were covering the process, including City News is Fred Duho. Let's listen to some of the things he's been saying about ECG. Uh, when ECG began this program, um, I always communicated to the management that I'll demonstrate our support for this program by physically uh, visiting one or two entities with them. And that is what I've done today and probably I'll do on Friday. You've been receiving briefing from the tax force, uh, I mean, every now and then. What have they been sharing with you? Has the exercise been successful? Uh, what are the challenges they faced that they've shared with you? Um, the ECG, I think, said that the amount of money that they intend collect or has not been paid over a certain period was over $5 billion. Um, I would like to know when they finish the program 
how much they've been able to collect and why they were not able to collect probably 80% of the bill. Uh, I don't believe in success factors we cannot all clap to. Uh, if they think the program has been successful, they must demonstrate it in how much they've retrieved. If not, what has caused uh, their inability to retrieve it and what plans are they having for subsequent um, uh, visits? So generally, uh, I have been on the field with them a number of times. There are a number of illegalities in the system and as a ministry, what would you be doing about it? The first thing I want to share is that there shouldn't be some payers of electricity and others who are we call non-payers of electricity. Whether it's because the meter is not working or it's because you are doing things or you are using a meter not certified or, or, or you are bypassing the ECG system, who should pay for who to enjoy? We should all know that ECG is rendering such a vital service for all Guineans, especially in their, in, their, in, their, in their zone. And everybody must prioritize paying electricity. We should really look back for when we're not enjoying electricity. And we're all having generators. And if you'd like, all of you do a study. Switch off your ECG, prepayment system, don't pay for one month, and use generator for one month and compare the bills. Uh, I don't believe that people would say uh, ECG has increased or PRC has increased tariff. Last year and this year, everything has increased. Your house rent has increased, your food uh, cost has increased, uh, your transportation cost has increased. So how could ECG have functioned within that period without increasing tariff? It beggars belief. Workers have even called for uh, a cooler <laughs> or things, uh, support, or the reality. So we all have to understand that without energy, there is no economy. And we all, everybody must pay. You can't want lights and shout if the lights are not on and you shout against government. And if lights are on, you say, I won't pay my bill. My ministry operates on prepaid meters. We have to be responsible to our duties, or else we should ask, ask, stop asking government for electricity. Once you see it, once we all see the visible improvement in electricity system over the years compared to some years back, we should all make it a point to advise Ghanaians, everybody you know. We live in the same neighborhood. You already know those who are not paying. You even know those who are doing illegal connections. You either have to give us a tip-off or you have to encourage those people to be. The more people pay, the less the bill will be. If 30% of Ghanaians are not paying, or ECG is not able to collect 30% of the money, it means only 70% are paying for the 100%. And obviously, the bills will be higher. Would you be supporting calls for a tariff adjustment by ECG in the coming... I don't remember the last time ECG increased tariff. The ECG does not increase tariff. PRC is a body that has been set up by Ghanaians for Ghanaians to work on behalf of consumers. So they come up with a rationale tariff, a tariff that they deem must be affordable and can be affordable. I would like people to really compare 1st January 2016 the price, and 1st January 2022, the price in dollar terms, and see which one was even cheaper. I can put it on record that when you do the sums, it's probably far cheaper in 2022.
So ECG has done, has faced a tremendous uh, pressure uh, to deliver. Because without ECG, we all hear that the government is restructuring the debts with the independent power producers. They all rely on ECG to pay these power producers. And if ECG cannot collect the amount of money it has to collect, the independent power producers will never have enough money to pay to continue producing the power for all of us to enjoy. We have to live responsibly, Priyam. You see, when I talk about responsibility, I really mean that we we all up and running. You don't say food prices are expensive or extremely high, so you wouldn't eat. You'd rather start looking at what you eat and how many times you eat and readjust to your pockets, right? I'm saying after food, uh, probably the next thing is about energy, whether electricity or energy for our car. In the last year, I think we've all had the uh, trotro drivers and taxi drivers and everything increase prices incessantly. After every fuel uh, and price adjustment, uh, we, are, we are being told to pay more for uh, um, power. If you think that you cannot pay, you find a way of working more efficiently or better. So if you go to work five times a week and your work would permit, you start probably going three times a week. But you cannot say you are not going to go to work. So the, the other side is how much we consume the energy at home. We should use more energy efficient equipment. Right? We should use more energy equipment. And we should make sure when we are leaving our homes, we don't leave the electricity on. Some ST, um, SLT consumers, the special load tariff consumers, uh, companies in the country are calling for some, I mean, reduction in uh, tariff for them because they are also working and employing and uh, supporting the economy. And currently, the economy is quite tight for everybody. And the companies, to sustain their operations, they are calling on your ministry to uh, help them reduce tariff. Is it the only the Ministry of Energy that is involved in price setting and prices of goods and services? You can make some interventions. Uh, and I'm sure if you check the last PURC tariff adjustment, they did far better for SLTs than has ever happened in this country. Let us, let us trust the systems that we have operating. The last PURC tariff adjustment, they did work for the SLTs. But it's not only energy, it is the key component in industrialization. But if we are the same people, we are not paying for the bills. Who should, whose company should make profit for ECG to make a loss? And who should fill up the ECG losses for who to make a profit? It's a simple question. If you say uh, he's employing 1,000 people so he should not pay electricity, who should pay the electricity? That's my whole question. I'm not, sure, I'm not saying that if, if the electricity bill could get cheaper, we shouldn't make it so. We've demonstrated in power the sensitivity of this government that the December price of fuel and the April price of fuel, there's a marked difference. The, the benefits of government policy has accrued to Ghanaians. If it's possible in electricity, like I said, the PRC in price rate determination in the last price review, I think they did better for... For, for, for SLTs. And we want even to do better with PRC. We want to come to the position like fuel where the price is the same. That's where we want to get to. Honorable, please, the IPPs for some time now have given them that this money is collected. 
I'm not sure that IP, any IPP has come to you that the money collected they are not receiving. They say it's not enough. It's different from not receiving. And I'm sure if ECG collects 30% less of what it has to collect because people are stealing, because people are bypassing, because people are not paying, with all good excuses that people are giving for not paying, how does ECG pay its IPPs? That is a reality, my sister. One plus one can never be 1.5. Mm. And if, if we try to make it 1.5, the 0.5 will be hovering somewhere me and you have to chase it. Mm. And that's what ECG is doing now. How is ECG, it? I, I, ECG must not be chasing customers like it's chasing in Ghana. Mm. But there are two sides to every situation. It is because we haven't, Ghanaians have not come up with a situation where they willingly go and say, even though my bill hasn't come, I'm paying because I know that every month I consume 100 units. Please, can I finish this one? If my bill has come and it's 100 cities and it's not come, let me even pay 50 cities down. If we all get into that habit, we would lessen the pressure on ECG to pay the IPPs. And the IPPs would not come to you, my sister, with the situation that they have, they are not getting enough. Uh -huh, yes. Any updates on the good for oil policy? I thought today I was around with ECG. <laughs> Especially when tall workers are on strike for 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 what reason? I mean, tall workers. Me and you would know that they we are they are even taking a longer time for us to hear from them. We we normally hear their threats and their strikes. They are protesting today too as well. They are today. I haven't been informed yet. I'll find out from them. Actually, I was speaking with some of them today. So that's Dr. Matthew Poku Prempe, MP for Minsha South and uh, Minister for Energy, speaking on the Electricity Company of Ghana. He was responding to questions from journalists, including our own Fred Duho here at City FM and City TV. Now let's talk about accommodation for personnel of our security services. The president today commissioned a police barracks at Kwabenya in Accra. And he said government will continue to improve the working conditions of officers. Let's listen to him. We must at the outset thank the Ministry of Lands and Natural Resources under the leadership of its dynamic minister, Samuel A. Jinapo, Member of Parliament for Damangu, and everyone involved in this project and in the Aviation City project. It is testament to government's resolve to modernizing our cities and providing decent accommodation and housing for our men and women in uniform. Ladies and gentlemen, building a progressive and prosperous Ghana requires that we continue to invest in the development of our infrastructure, the provision of essential services, and the improvement in the living conditions of our people, even in the midst of a global economic crisis. The importance of land to the realization of this modern prosperous Ghana is self-evident. It is estimated that Ghana's urban population will reach 72% by 2035. This represents a unique challenge as well as an opportunity to develop innovative solutions to the growing demand for housing 
infrastructure and public services in our major cities. To address this challenge, government has been working tirelessly to implement a comprehensive urban development strategy, which includes the construction of affordable housing units, the expansion of transportation networks, and the upgrading of public facilities, such as schools, hospitals, and police stations. We made considerable strides in this respect. Since 2017, we've launched several initiatives aimed at addressing Ghana's housing deficit, which currently stands at some 2 million units. Despite these measures, rapid urbanization continues to put immense pressure on our land resources. This has led to the degradation of some of our prime lands, particularly in urban areas. It is therefore of utmost importance that we prioritize the optimal use of our land resources. That is why government, through the Ministry of Lands and Natural Resources and the Lands Commission, has embarked on an ambitious urban renewal program aimed at redeveloping prime areas in major cities across the country, including the Kumasi Sector 18, Marine Drive Tourism Development Project, and the Takradi Beach Road Redevelopment Scheme, amongst others. This facility which I'm commissioning today is the outcome of one such urban renewal program the Aviation City Redevelopment Project at the airport enclave. It is to pave way for this redevelopment that these state-of-the-art facilities have been constructed through a public-private partnership with a unique development company for our hard-working men and women of the Ghana Police Service. The facility is made up of 514 one- and two-bedroom self-contained flats. Over 322 have been completed and ready for occupation. These units are fitted with modern facilities and will serve as comfortable homes and afford a conducive working environment for police officers and their families. In addition to the residential accommodations, this project also provides a school with modern facilities, a clinic, an astroturf football field, a tennis court, a standby generator, a police station, a fuel filling station, a workshop enclave, and other essential amenities. This is further testimony of our unwavering commitment to provide decent accommodation and other facilities for our security personnel. Not only will this facility improve the welfare of the police officers, it will also enhance their capacity to serve our nation even more effectively. As we commission the first phase of this project, I urge the Ministry of Lands and Natural Resources, the Lands Commission and Unique Development Company 
to work in earnest and complete the remaining 192 housing units and other facilities that make up the second phase of the project. I've been briefed that work is also far advanced on the construction of 15 bedroom self-contained flats for the Ghana Meteorological Agency, the Ghana Airport Company Limited, and the Greater Accra Regional Office of the Driver and Vehicle Licensing Authority, DVLA. The completion of these projects is crucial to the implementation of the Aviation City Project. Once again, I want to commend all those who have worked for the success of this project. And let me mention specifically Unique Development Company Limited for partnering with government to put up these facilities for the police service and for the excellent quality of its work. This obviously is a great step towards the redevelopment of the aviation city enclave, which will give a positive facelift to our capital city. Let me assure you, ladies and gentlemen, of my full commitment to the realization of this project towards the Ghana we aspire. I'm confident that with God's guidance and your support, we will achieve our vision of a developed, progressive, and prosperous Ghana. Accordingly, I have the singular honor and pleasure to declare the Kwabinya Police Barracks duly commissioned. So that was President Akufado speaking at the commissioning of the new police barracks at Kwabenya in Accra. That would be it for Eyewitness News tonight. I did this with uh, Nashi Kasiza. My name is Umaru Sandamani. Production by Beverly London and Kobna Wells. Technical support from Daniel Squashi and new media support from Edwin Kwakofi. We return tomorrow at 17.30 GMT. But up next, we'll bring you a playback of an interview I did on Face to Face on City TV last night. It was an interview with the managing director of the electricity company of Ghana, Dubik, Samuel Dubik Mahama. Do stay tuned in and enjoy. Good night. City News. We speak first. Reach our hotline on 0302-224959. And get interactive on Facebook, City 97.3 FM, and on Twitter at City 973.